0: chapter seven of studies in the psychology of sex volume two this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by kirk Ziegler. studies in the psychology of sex volume two by havelock ellis chapter seven conclusions part three the next case is that of the reverend t w professor at the university of mr w is a scholarly gentleman affable in his address eloquent in his oratory and a fine classical scholar he was exposed by some of his students who to use a slang phrase accused him of being a head worker at his examination by the faculty he confessed his weakness and said he could not control his unholy passion his resignation was accepted by both the church and the college and he left i know of a few other cases that have their peculiar traits and am confident that these persons did not become possessed of this habit through the so-called indiscretions of youth as in every case their early life was freer from contamination than that of ninety percent of the boys who on reaching man's estate have like myself no desire to deviate from the old-fashioned way formulated by our ancient sire adam it can scarcely be said that the consciousness of this attitude of society is favorable to the inverse attainment of a fairly sane and well-balanced state of mind this is indeed one of the great difficulties in his way and often causes him to waver between extremes of melancholia and egotistic exaltation we regard all homosexuality with absolute and unmitigated disgust we have been taught to venerate alexander the great epaminondas socrates and other antique heroes but they are safely buried in the remote past and do not affect our scorn of homosexuality in the present it was in the fourth century at rome that the strong modern opposition to homosexuality was first clearly formulated in law the roman race had long been decaying sexual perversions of all kinds flourished the population was dwindling at the same time christianity with its judaic pauline antagonism to homosexuality was rapidly spreading the statesmen of the day anxious to quicken the failing pulses of national life utilized this powerful christian feeling constantine theodosius and valentinian all passed laws against homosexuality the last at all events ordaining as penalty the vindicius flammae but their enactments do not seem to have been strictly carried out in the year five hundred thirty-eight justinian professing terror of certain famines earthquakes and pestilences in which he saw the mysterious recompense which was meet prophesied by saint paul issued his edict condemning unnatural offenders to the sword lest as the result of these impious acts as the preamble to his novella seventy seven has it whole cities should perish together with their inhabitants for we are taught by holy scripture that through these acts cities have perished with the men in them this edict which justinian followed up by a fresh ordinance to the same effect constituted the foundation of legal enactment and social opinion concerning the matter in europe for thirteen hundred years in france the Vindicis Flamme survived to the last st louis had handed over these sacrilegious offenders to the church to be burned in seventeen fifty two pederasts were burned in the palace de greve and only a few years before the revolution a capuchin monk named pascal was also burned After the revolution, however, began a new movement, which has continued slowly and steadily ever since, though it still divides European nations into two groups. Justinian, Charlemagne, and St. Louis had insisted on the sin and sacrilege of sodomy as the ground for its punishment. It was doubtless largely as a religious offense that the Code Napoleon omitted to punish it. The French law makes a clear and logical distinction between crime on the one hand, vice and irreligion on the other, only concerning itself with the former. Homosexual practice in private between two consenting adult parties, whether men or women, are absolutely unpunished by the Code Napoléon and by French law of today. Only under three conditions does the homosexual act come under the cognizance of the law as a crime one when there is outrage public alpoder for example when the act is performed in public or with a possibility of witnesses two when there is violence or absence of consent in whatever degree the act may have been consummated three when one of the parties is under age or unable to give valid consent in some cases it appears possible to apply article three hundred and thirty four of the penal code directed against habitual excitation to debauch of young persons of either sex under the age of twenty-one this method of dealing with unnatural offenses has spread widely at first because of the political influence of france and more recently because such an attitude has commended itself on its merits in belgium the law is similar to that of the code napoleon as it is also in italy spain portugal Romania, japan and numerous south american lands in switzerland the law is a little vague and very slightly in the different cantons but it is not severe in geneva and some other cantons there is no penalty the general tendency is to inflict brief imprisonment when serious complaints have been lodged and cases can sometimes be settled privately by the magistrate the only large european countries in which homosexuality per se remains a penal offense appear to be germany austria russia and england in several of the german states such as bavaria and hanover simple homosexuality formerly went unpunished but when the laws of prussia were in 1871 applied to the new german empire this ceased to be the case and unnatural carnality between males became an offense against the law this article of the german code section 175 has caused great discussion and much practical difficulty because although the terms of the law make it necessary to understand by wider maturic unzucht other practices besides pedicatio not every homosexual practice is included it must be some practice resembling normal coitus there is a widespread opinion that this article of the code should be abolished it appears that at one time an authoritative committee pronounced in favor of this step and their proposition came near adoption the austrian law is somewhat similar to the german but it applies to women as well as to men this is logical for there is no reason why homosexuality should be punished in men and left unpunished in women in russia the law against homosexual practices appears to be very severe involving in some cases banishment to siberia and deprivation of civil rights but it can scarcely be rigorously executed the existing law in england is severe but simple carnal knowledge of perenum of either man or a woman or an animal is punishable by a sentence of penal servitude with not less than three years or of imprisonment with not more than two years even gross indecency between males however privately committed has been since eighteen eighty five a penal offence the clause is open to criticism with the omission of the words or private it would be sound and in harmony with the most enlightened european legislation but it must be pointed out that an act only becomes indecent when those who perform it or witness it regard it as indecent the act which has brought each of us into the world is not indecent it would become so if carried on in public if two male persons who have reached years of discretion consent together to perform some act of sexual intimacy in private no indecency has been committed if one of the consenting parties subsequently proclaims the act indecency may doubtless be created as may happen also in the case of normal sexual intercourse but it seems contrary to good policy that such proclamation should convert the act itself into a penal offense moreover gross indecency between males usually means some form of mutual masturbation no penal code regards masturbation as an offense and there seems to be no sufficient reason why mutual masturbation should be so regarded the main point to be ensured is that no boy or girl who has not reached years of discretion should be seduced or abused by an older person and this point is equally well guaranteed on the basis introduced by the code napoleon however shameful disgusting personally immoral and indirectly antisocial it may be for two adult persons of the same sex men or women to consent together to perform an act of sexual intimacy in private there is no sound or adequate ground for constituting such an act a penal offense by law one of the most serious objections to the legal recognition of private gross indecency is the obvious fact that only in the rarest cases can such indecency become known to the police and we thus perpetuate what is very much a legal farce the breaking of a few laws as mole truly observes regarding the german law so often goes unpunished as this it is the same in england as is amply evidenced by the fact that of the english sexual inverts whose histories i have obtained not one so far as i am aware has ever appeared in a police court on this charge it may further be pointed out that legislation against homosexuality has no clear effect either in diminishing or increasing its prevalence This must necessarily be so as regards to the kernel of the homosexual group, if we are to regard a considerable proportion of cases as congenital. In France, homosexuality per se has been untouched by the law for a century, yet it abounds, chiefly, it seems, among the lowest of the community. Although the law is silent, social feeling is strong, and when, as has been the case in one instance, a man of undoubted genius has his name associated with this perversion it becomes difficult or impossible for the admirers of his work to associate with him personally very few cases of homosexuality have been recorded in france among the more intelligent classes the literature of homosexuality is there little more than the literature of male prostitution as described by police officials and as carried on largely for the benefit of foreigners in germany and austria where the law against homosexuality is severe it abounds also perhaps to a much greater extent than in france it certainly asserts itself more vigorously A far greater number of cases have been recorded than in any other country and the German literature of homosexuality is very extensive, often issued in popular form, and sometimes enthusiastically eulogistic. In England the law is exceptionally severe, yet, according to the evidence of those who have an international acquaintance with these matters, homosexuality is fully as prevalent as on the continent some would say that it is more so much the same is true of the united states though there is less to be seen on the surface it cannot therefore be said that legislative enactments have very much influence on the prevalence of homosexuality the chief effect seems to be that the attempt at suppression arouses the finer minds among sexual inverts to undertake the enthusiastic defense of homosexuality while coarser minds are stimulated to cynical bravado. As regards the prevalence of homosexuality in the United States, I may quote from a well-informed American correspondent. The great prevalence of sexual inversion in America's cities is shown by the wide knowledge of its existence. Ninety-nine normal men out of a hundred have been accosted on the streets by inverts, or have among their acquaintances men whom they know to be sexually inverted everyone has seen inverts and knows what they are the public attitude toward them is generally a negative one indifference amusement contempt the world of sexual inverts is indeed a large one in any american city and it is a community distinctly organized words customs traditions of its own and every city has its numerous meeting places certain churches where inverts congregate certain cafes well known for the inverted character of their patrons certain streets where at night every fifth man is an invert the inverts have their own clubs with nightly meetings these clubs are really dance halls attached to saloons and presided over by the proprietor of the saloon himself almost invariably an invert as are all the waiters and musicians the frequenters of these places are male sexual inverts usually ranging from 17 to 30 years of age. Sightseers find no difficulty in gaining entrance. Truly, they are welcomed for the drinks they buy for the company and other reasons. Singing and dancing turns by certain favorite performers are the features of these gatherings, with much gossip and drinking at the small tables ranged along the four walls of the room. The abitway of these places are, generally, inverts of the most profound type for example, the completely feminine in voice and manners, with the characteristic hip motion in their walk. Though I have never seen any approach to feminine dress there, doubtless the desire for it is not wanting, and only police regulations relegate it to other occasions and places. You will rightly infer that the police know of these places and endure their existence for a consideration, It is not unusual for the inquiring stranger to be directed there by a policeman the oscar wilde trial see ante page 48 with its wide publicity and the fundamental nature of the questions it suggested appears to have generally contributed to give definiteness and self-consciousness to the manifestations of homosexuality and to have aroused inverts to take up a definite attitude i have been assured in several quarters that this is so and that since that case the manifestations of homosexuality have become more pronounced one correspondent writes up to the time of the oscar wilde trial i had not known what condition the law was the moral question in itself its relation to my own life and that of my friends i reckoned i had solved but now i had to ask myself how far i was justified in not only breaking the law but in being the cause of a like breach in others and others younger than myself i have never allowed the dictum of the law to interfere with what i deem to be a moral development in any youth for whom i am responsible i cannot say that the trial made me alter my course in life of the rightness of which i was too convincingly persuaded but it made me much more careful and it probably sharpened my sense of responsibility for the young reviewing the results of the trial as a whole it doubtless did incalculable harm and it intensified our national vice of hypocrisy but i think it also may have done some good in that it made those who like myself have thought and experienced deeply in the matter and these must be no small few ready to strike a blow when the time comes for what we deem right honorable and clean from america a lady writes with reference to the moral position of inverts though without allusion to the wild trial inverts should have the courage and independence to be themselves and to demand an investigation if one strives to live honorably and considers the greatest good to the greatest number it is not a crime nor a disgrace to be an invert i do not need the law to defend me neither do i desire to have any concessions made for me nor do i ask my friends to sacrifice their ideals for me i too have ideals which i shall always hold all that i desire and i claim it as my right is the freedom to exercise this divine gift of loving which is not a menace to society nor a disgrace to me let it once be understood that the average invert is not a moral degenerate nor a mental degenerate but simply a man or a woman who is less highly specialized less completely differentiated than other men and women and i believe the prejudice against them will disappear and if they live uprightly they will surely win the esteem and consideration of all thoughtful people. I know what it means to be an invert, who feels himself set apart from the rest of mankind, to find one human heart who trusts him and understands him, and I know how almost impossible this is, and will be, until the world is made aware of these facts. But while the law has had no more influence in repressing abnormal sexuality than wherever it has tried to do so it has had in repressing the normal sexual instinct it has served to foster another offense what is called blackmailing in england schottes in france erpressum in germany in other words the extortion of money by threats of exposing some real or fictitious offense finds its chief field of activity in connection with homosexuality no doubt the removal of the penalty against simple homosexuality does not abolish blackmailing as the existence of this kind of chotas in france shows but it renders its success less probable on all these grounds and taking into consideration the fact that the tendency of modern legislation generally and the consensus of authoritative opinion in all countries are in this direction it seems reasonable to conclude that neither sodomy for example, emissio mimbri in anum hominis vel mulieris, or gross indecency ought to be penal offenses except under certain special circumstances. That is to say, that if two persons of either or both sexes, having reached years of discretion, privately consent to practice some perverted mode of sexual relationship, the law cannot be called upon to interfere. It should be the function of the law in this matter to prevent violence to protect the young and to preserve public order and decency whatever laws are laid down beyond this must be left to the individuals themselves to the moralists and to social opinion at the same time and while such a modification in the law seems to be reasonable the change effected would be less considerable than may appear at first sight in a very large proportion indeed of cases boys are involved it is instructive to observe that in le gloudic's two hundred and forty-six cases including victims and aggressors together in france one hundred and twenty-seven or more than half were between the ages of ten and twenty and eighty-two or exactly one-third were between the ages of ten and fourteen a very considerable field of operation is thus still left for the law whatever proportion of cases may meet with no other penalty than social opinion that however social opinion law or no law will speak with no uncertain voice is very evident once homosexuality was primarily a question of population or of religion now we hear little either of its economic aspects or of its sacrilegiousness it is for us primarily a disgusting abomination such as a matter of taste of aesthetics and while unspeakably ugly to the majority it is proclaimed as beautiful by a small minority i do not know that we need to find fault with this aesthetic method of judging homosexuality but it scarcely lends itself to legal purposes to indulge in violent denunciation of the disgusting nature of homosexuality and to measure the sentence by the disgust aroused or to regret as one english judge is reported to have regretted when giving sentence that gross indecency is not punishable by death is to import utterly foreign considerations into the matter the judges who yield to this temptation would certainly never allow themselves to be consciously influenced on the bench by their political opinions yet aesthetic opinions are quite as foreign to law as political opinions An act does not become criminal because it is disgusting. To eat excrement, as Mull remarks, is extremely disgusting, but it is not criminal. The confusion thus exists, even in the legal mind, between the disgusting and the criminal is additional evidence of the undesirability of the legal penalty for simple homosexuality at the same time it shows that social opinion is amply adequate to deal with the manifestations of inverted sexuality so much for the legal aspects of sexual inversion but while there can be no doubt about the amply adequate character of the existing social reaction to all manifestations of perverted sexuality the question still remains how far not merely the law but also the state of public opinion should be modified in the light of such a psychological study as we have here undertaken it is clear that this public opinion moulded chiefly or entirely with reference to gross vice tends to be unduly violent in its reaction what then is the reasonable attitude of society toward the congenital sexual invert it seems to lie in the avoidance of two extremes on the one hand it cannot be expected to tolerate the invert who flouts his perversion in its face and assumes that because he would rather take his pleasure with a soldier or a policeman than with their sisters he is of finer clay than the vulgar herd on the other it might well refrain from crushing with undiscerning ignorance beneath the burden of shame the subject of an abnormality which as we have seen has not been found incapable of fine uses inversion is an aberration from the usual course of nature but the clash of contending elements which must often mark the history of such a deviation results now and again by no means infrequently in nobler activities than those yielded by the vast majority who are born to consume the fruits of the earth it bears for the most part its penalty in the structure of its own organism we are bound to protect the helpless members of society against the invert if we go farther and seek to destroy the invert himself before he has sinned against society we exceed the warrant of reason and in doing so we may perhaps destroy also those children of the spirit which possess sometimes a greater worth than the children of the flesh here we may leave this question of sexual inversion in dealing with it i have sought to avoid that attitude of moral superiority which is so common in the literature of the subject and have refrained from pointing out how loathsome this phenomenon is or how hideous that such an attitude is as much out of place in scientific investigation as it is in judicial investigation and may well be left to the amateur The physician who feels nothing but disgust at the sight of disease is unlikely to bring either succor to his patients or instruction to his pupils. That the investigation we have here pursued is not only profitable to us in succoring the social organism and its members, but also in bringing light to the region of sexual psychology, is now, I hope, clear to every reader who has followed me to this point. There are a multitude of social questions which we cannot face squarely and honestly, unless we possess such precise knowledge as has been here brought together concerning the part played by the homosexual tendency in human life. Moreover, the study of this perverted tendency stretches beyond itself. Or that art which you say adds to nature is an art that nature makes. Pathology is but physiology working under new conditions the stream of nature still flows into the bent channel of sexual inversion and still runs according to law we have not wasted our time in this toilsome excursion with the knowledge here gained we are better equipped to enter upon the study of the wider questions of sex end of chapter seven recording by kirk ziggler ogden utah voiceovers by kirk dot com